and welcome back for another episode of Ladies First. I am Corey. I'm joined by Sahara today. Hello. Uh, Elizabeth is still on vacation, so you're getting the two of us. Um, we're doing another, quote, air quotes, trademark heavy discourse episode today, um, probably in keeping with when we talked about fandom burnout. So, you know, hold on to your butts. Um, I'm, we're just going to kind of get right into this because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, but for a quick summary, we're basically talking about uh, fandom interactions and kind of in our own media that we create about characters who, you know, their ethnicity or their culture or their religions are not the same as the writer. So I think you can already tell this is going to be a doozy of an episode. I feel like all of our episodes are doozy, though. Well, yes, but generally, you know, what do they say when you have dinners? Don't talk about politics or religion, which is essentially <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> so, um, again, we're not trying to just out and out attack anybody. We're trying to open up some conversation on, you know, things we've noticed within our fandoms or fandom in general, or, you know, specifically film slash fandom that we think we could be better on. Um, so don't try to take this as a personal call out. That's not our intention so much as let's just start this conversation and start some awareness so we can be better about it. And I'm going to guess Sahara agrees with me by her stone cold silence. Thanks yes, for letting me sorry. flap in the wind like that. No, I'm sorry. It's because someone screamed outside. So I was like, wait, what's happening? I apologize. The neighbor next door has three very loud dogs. So I was like, throw it off for a second. No, I totally agree. I think it's important to talk about these things and issues and just open up the conversation for everyone to join in because it's not about being mad at anyone. It's just like, hey, like we've noticed some patterns and it would be cool if these patterns went away because they're not good patterns. Right. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's where we're trying to come from. Of like, let's get this dialogue open and kind of make you all aware of this. Because I know for some people, I mean, you don't even realize you're doing it. And yeah. I think that ties into like a first point I want to make. Um, again, we're not trying to specifically call anybody out, but we've noticed that people who write about characters that are not of the culture slash ethnicity they are tend to write in their media, be it fanfic or fan art. Generally, fanfic is where you see this. Uh, they tend to write those characters as though they are kind of slap a label on them, same as my culture. Yes. That they're divorced from their own culture and what that would mean for them as characters and the people. Right. Um, you know, I think a good hypothetical situation for this is you have a Latina character who's, let's say, out late at night, doesn't call home, doesn't let her parents know where she is randomly gives them a call and then the parents obviously don't care and never call them back and you see this as a um i'm going to say white because this is just in a lot of white fiction tropes where you've yes. got the parents who don't care right and i can see why this would be carried over because you see all these shows like i remember skins i thought was an egregious mm -hmm. example of this 
And nobody understood where I was coming from because all of my friends, you know, they're white and they're like, okay, whatever. And I'm just like, are you kidding with how absentee these parents are and don't care? And it's a cultural thing. Right, right. And I'm not saying there might not be some Latina moms who don't care where their kids are, but I think if you see most of the media examples we have where there are Latina moms, or if you talk to people who are Latina or, you know, even Latino fathers, that is very much not the case. Like, there is going to be fire and brimstone reckoning if you go out and don't come back and let your parents worry about something happening to you. Right. And I think what's interesting about that example is that on the flip side, I think a lot of it is that writers... So there's this either they're afraid of trying to write characters authentically because they don't have that experience, so they just don't do it, and it just becomes this, like, well, we know the character is X, so that the reader has to just fill in the blanks. So you get stuff like that. Or you get it where they go the other direction, and it's very stereotypical. So you'll get, like, with Latinx men, like, the Latino lover stereotype or, like, the random throne in Spanish, even though that's not how bilingualism works. So it's, it's part of that no one really who does this can figure out the balance of how to write the characters authentically, which mm-hmm. can then be frustrating for readers who know or expect some kind of cultural aptitude, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. And so I know for me, when I'm reading, when I read stuff like that, I immediately get turned off. Cause, like you said, like, why aren't the parents there? Or why is it they're just like a quick throwaway line of like, they're texting their mom that they're going to be home and that's fine versus there's just no adults, no connection, and things that you expect from certain characters, especially if there's stuff that's established in canon. Because mm-hmm. that, I think, adds to it, too. Well, and again, it's... I, I can understand where some of this comes from, because in white shows with white families, we've seen for so many years, where there's this kind of hyper non-caring when it comes to teen shows, because they're catering to teens, and they're trying to, you know, ramp up the... I don't want to say emo because I know that's a specific genre and I don't quite think that's fair, but ramp up the angst factor. Yes, yes, yes. The emotions of... Yeah, the emotions of... Yeah, being a teenager and how, you know, teenagers understand the world in the way nobody else does because you're a teenager (laughs) and you're dumb and you think that's how it works. Right, right. Um, You know, I say this because I was a teenager and that's how I thought and then you get older and you're like, oh my God, how did anybody stand being around me? Right. Um, well, actually, you know what's a really good example of this is Secret Life of American Teenager, which, wow, what a time back when ABC Family was still ABC Family and not Freeform. Um, when I first saw that show, because I didn't watch it until years later, I got it towards the end. I was just shocked by everything that was happening because it was just so over the top. None of the parents ever knew what was going on, and it just felt so... It just felt very fake because, yes, teenagers get off to silly things and they do stuff and they have experiences in their life and they don't know what they're doing with their lives because none of us do but that was just so above and beyond what I was used to seeing just with my friends and their families it just I couldn't get into the show that and it's just very dramatic but just no well, one that's how was, it was with me and skins yeah and I I get part of that as culturally um you know both for me and you that is very much not how it would ever be Right. But that that also raises the question the point of 
you know, people who aren't that white angsty teen standard are having to watch shows that don't represent them at all. Right. So canonically, you know, you're already missing out on this. And then say you do exist and then the fanfic comes and it's stripped away a second time because the writers mm-hmm. don't really know any better. Right. Which comes to our point of this is where we're trying to tell you you need to know better. Um, not everything is the uh, white teen over-the-top... Standard. Standard. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm... I'm not saying there aren't parents out there that just don't give a rat's ass. I mean, unfortunately, right. it's true. Uh, we, we're not saying this isn't completely realistic. We're just saying... When you're watching your over-the-top teen shows, if there are characters from other cultures and you want to write fanfic for them, please be advised that the standard white teen absentee parent is not, most of the time, going to be the reality for those characters. Right. I also think it goes, this kind of connects to just like fandom tropes where because media shows specific ethnicities or cultural groups or whatever in a certain way, fandom writers knowingly or not mimic them. So then it becomes hard because how much of it is the fandom writer, or the fanfic writer, I should say, uh, just replicating what they see and how much of it is a conscious effort of well, I don't know, slash I don't want to do the research, slash I don't care, because that it's sometimes part of it and just writing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And then that is always difficult too. Well, and again, like, you know, staying with the Latina characters. Um, I know there were people who were critical of Glee with how it felt at times that Santana Lopez was stereotyped. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could see that again, we're not calling anybody out, but you could see in fiction, Fanfic, and it wasn't just Glee, it's like there's other characters where there's a real fear anytime you see a Latina character being written about, it's going to be the, like, unnecessary Spanglish inserted, the just, the -the over-the-top tropes and stereotypes, so it's like how Sahar is saying, trying to find that balance, I mean, it's not easy. No, because it requires, I mean, it requires anyone who's making any kind of fanfic, fan art to do research and go beyond their gut instinct of, oh my gosh, I love this character and I want to write about them. I think, so something that was interesting for me is when we were talking about this before the actual podcast, um, I looked up some fanfiction of some other characters and I saw that for some Muslim characters and the bold type that comes to mind, a lot of the fanfiction actually doesn't even address Adina as a Muslim lesbian as, as in much that they just talk about her going on cute dates with Kat and things like that. But there's never, I was reading a bunch of fic and there was never one mention of her hijab or if there was mention of anything pertaining to that, it was a very quick throwaway line. And I think from only having 10 episodes where she's only in six or seven, like there's obviously not that much to draw from, but it's very clear that hijab is important to her and her culture and her religion is important to her. So when there's none of it, it just feels kind of like an entire part of who she is is gone. So there's that part that's hard because it's like, like I I understand why that can be scary because you don't want to offend anyone and you don't want to do it wrong, 
but you should also at least put some kind of thought behind, you know, this is a character, and especially in, like, longer fan fiction where you have the space to write about it. If it's, not, if it's a 200-word travel, like, whatever. But I don't know. I think that's an interesting thing that happens, too, is in this case, then, there's just nothing about who she is or how that connects to her, which right. I find frustrating because I want to read more about that. I want to read where people see the two of them navigating that aspect of their relationship and her as a person. Well, and I think it goes into, it's like, you want to read about people who look like you or who, you know, share the same religion or culture as you or any number of things. And, you know, part of that goes back to who's in the creators and writers room. Right. When we're talking about canon. Um, You know, part of the reason I think fandoms have an issue with divorcing characters from cultures or religion is because you don't see a lot of really good examples or historic traditionally you haven't seen a lot of really good examples i mean i i'm going back to the whole latina thing because there is no media whatsoever to speak of regarding native women characters unfortunately but you know um with Latinas, we've we've started to see more shows focusing, like we've got One Day at a Time. Mm-hmm. And that the, the amount that that show covers, I mean, you've got um, a lesbian Latina who's white passing, whose sibling is not, mm-hmm. whose mother is in the army and divorced. I mean, the breadth of that show covering different complexities... And only 20 episodes, or 26 episodes, is incredible. I mean, you had Jane the Virgin, which, yes, they play into tropes, but they do so in a way that it's a wink and a nod of, like, yes, we're writing a telenovela. Right. Um, Or, you know, Charmed, the new one, that everybody is, you know, up Up in their feelings about, about, (laughs) has three Latina sisters, one of whom is Afro-Latina, one right. of whom is a lesbian. I mean, you don't see that kind of representation until recently, and I think that leads to part of the problem as well, because there's just nothing visible except for these one-off characters, and those one-off characters, if you try to write about them, and this is not in your wheelhouse, right? then what you're drawing from is... You know, what are you drawing from? Right. And then I think, too, it's all happening right now in the last two, three, four, five years. So mm-hmm. we're getting this awesome boost of a variety of characters. And as we get more characters, it also means a variety of experiences, which is really important. But at the same time, it is so recent that I think for a lot of people who've been writing fan fiction for years, it's a totally new experience. Because before you were kind of pulling from one scene here and behind the scene commentary there. And it was and the same let's be real, people. a lot of them were white. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I think what happens too is when the behind the scene commentary is coming from the white writer's room, then it's also hard because, well, if the writer does use that in their fan fiction, but what the writer's room is saying is maybe not necessarily the best um, information or how do I put it? Like, if what they say isn't actually, like, a good thing, whatever you want to quantify is good here, then that can also be an issue. So it's something where as we get more and more representation, I think we'll get better, but it's still an issue of a lot of fandom still relies on the same tropes, 
And I think part of that could be from, I think part of that might actually just be from it's safe to rely on tropes. As, as harmful as those tropes are, people just do them unknowingly a lot of times. I think mm-hmm. about like the Latino lover stereotype or whatever stereotype you want to talk about. So then how do we push past that and actually say, hey, we have all of these really cool things that are being addressed, especially with one day at a time, where they're, mm-hmm. you know, really unpacking those tropes. And then how do you write about it respectfully and well, with the amount of research <laughs> you should be doing? Pardon me. Um, yeah, I know. And this is something you talk a lot when we talk about television shows. And you've talked about this in your column, um, Sahara mm-hmm. says, about why it's so important to have that representation in the writer's room. Um, you know, Black Lightning, right, is another example. Um, we talked. We've. Ta- I know you and I have talked about the bold type. Um, yeah. In season one, Cat's reaction to a police, the police officer. officer. And it's just so not what would happen in real life. Right, and <laughs> to their credit, the show was like, you know what? That's a really good point. We're going to be better about this. And right. we'll see if they are, but they at least acknowledged, you know, what a lot of fans who are women of color were like, <laughs> that will happen in reality version never. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because as, as specifically as a black woman, when black, I mean, a lot of black women that I know quit the show after that because they just were, it just wasn't working for them. And so when you have that moment for a large chunk of your fan, your following, whether they're watching it live or not. That affects the enjoyment for a lot of people. And then it's hard, I know, for some people who are like, well, I'll try season two because I got ready for season three, so you know you're getting 20 more episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where it's just like, your writer's room needs to reflect the characters you're writing because people ultimately write their own experiences best, which is why One Day at a Time is incredible. The suit that Elena wears at um, Homecoming is a suit that one of the writers owns. So it's that kind of thing where, and like with Black Lightning, which is interesting because I've actually read some really cool um, conversation about like who the audience is because some of the writers are definitely a little bit older than say some of the writers for, um, oh, of course, I just forgot the name of the show, Grownish or what have you. Oh, right. So then that also changes it too. But because that writer's room is, is very inclusive, of different um, experiences, it comes through when they're talking about the different issues, and it comes through, especially with Black Lightning, which is a very political show. Or um, Vita. How the different Vita's another or Vita, example. right? Because that entire show stars um, supported the writer and executive producer to have a completely Latinx um, writing room, writing room, and directors and everything. Which yeah, is so great. I mean when. Those when these stories are being told authentically, I think it starts to become a lot easier for us to realize either, hey, oh, yeah, this isn't just copy and paste, slap white. And again, I'm not necessarily calling white people out. I'm just saying this is what it's traditionally been, slap white culture right, right. on top of it. And this is how right. it is when it's not. Or, you know, oh, okay, so a lot of these tropes are actually tropes and we're getting to see you know, a more accurate look, like especially with one day at a time, you want to talk about parental involvement. Um, Right. You know, the running joke when they finally let Schneider take. (laughs) um, Oh my gosh. Oh, I just blanked on the son's name. And because of that, I just did too. Alex. (laughs) Yeah. Alex to an out of town game. And he comes back and he is just so neurotic about it that they, 
the joke is that, oh, he's finally thinking like a Latina parent. Right, because he just goes above and beyond and is so, you know, he but, does it. He does exactly what you expect. <laughs> right, and you and you read the reviews from people who are Latinx, like, oh my god, this was so real. So you see, start to see the problem then is if you put white, typical teenage angst experience and write it for a Latino or Latina character, then all of a sudden it feels very fake. Right. Because that's not the reality. That's not even close. Or you see, like, Black Lightning. If you try to write... Anissa, without the experience of her being a black woman, it's a completely different character. Or like we talked about with Kat, uh, you know, Sahara, you just said, people stopped watching the show. Because there was that incident that was just so deeply untrue to what her identity is. Right. And especially, too, I think, it's hard because, I mean, again, this isn't about, like, attacking writers or anything it's just writing is such a for a lot of people it's just something that's so important to them a lot of fanfic writers spend hours of time writing and editing and you know if they get a writer's block the reviews are what help them move past that things like that and I just I just want to clarify that we're not trying to say like don't write because we definitely want you to write and it's a big deal that you are writing because if there aren't fandom writers writing there's no fanfic to go around but just thinking about the kind of stuff that you write about and the kind of things that you do. I mean, I remember when um, the first new Star Wars movie came out and we had all these new characters and how people were writing all of the people of color and how it was falling into tropes because there was only so much in the movie and it was just very frustrating because then all of us are reading the fan fiction and going, like, stop, don't do that. So it's stuff like that where it's like there's all this awesome stuff to pull from and the internet is right there, so you can find the stuff you need without it becoming the Spanglish, or there's no parent to check in on the kid, or whatever the issue is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and you touched on also um, Adina, her religion. Right. And, I mean, I completely understand, like, especially for the queer community, religion is loaded. <laughs> To yeah, be definitely. <laughs> delicate. It's a loaded yeah. topic. But there are a lot of people who are part of the queer community who are religious. And exactly. I, a part of the reason is I know a lot of our media anymore is secular. And, right. you know, if there are Christian movies coming out, it's like those giant offensive steaming turds like God's Not Dead. Right. Which I um, still, oh my gosh, Corey told me about it and it was just, I needed my Haram button because what? <laughs> the it's so bad. It is so bad and deeply defensive and so fart smelling and insular yes. and just awful. Wrong on a thousand counts on everything. <laughs> so, I mean, it is like the absolute worst aspects of a religion that many people in the queer community do follow and you're just like well i kind of get why most of our media is secular right but and it's how do you balance that (laughs) of having religion now and and people who are especially with i mean all of our media is secular but also the default is christianity in the u.s anyway so then when you get jewish characters 
and Muslim characters, and if you somehow manage to get, like, Hinduism or Buddhism or anything else. Or even um, just Catholic characters. Right, right, right. Because the default Christianity is a very, it's almost non-denominational. White Protestant. Right, exactly. And so then, how do you write about that? I mean, this goes back to something that's always really frustrating, like comic characters. So many of them were created by Jewish people for Jewish people, and they get Christian-washed? I don't really know if that's a term that we use, but the whitewashed, Christian-washed, or, you know, and it takes away the really important, integral part of who they are, like Superman or others. And so when you do that, that's also really frustrating because without that religious experience, and in this specifically, like, ethnic religious experience, it totally just remo- it changes, like you said, it changes them into a completely different person, different character, and it takes away from who they actually are. Well, I know so that... It was announced uh, by CW that the new, uh, like this, this falls DC TV crossover is going to be introducing right. Batwoman, who is a lesbian and is very, very, very Jewish. We've written about it, yes. not Sahara and I, but like Griffin and Kylie on our site yes. have written about it at length. Um, yes. But Sahara and I said, it's like, if they don't cast a Jewish actress for this, I don't want it. Yeah, because you can't can divorce that. <laughs> and you can't strip away her Jewishness because that leaves her as an entirely different character. It's same token like we it's... saw with um, One Day at a Time. Uh, right. When Elena came out, we saw how... Um, oh, I am just so forgetting names of these characters today. <laughs> Lydia. <laughs> Lydia, thank you. I was like, it's not Rita Moreno. <laughs> Lydia's character. <laughs> you know, because she is Catholic and they they showed how she reconciled Elena's queerness or, you know, her lesbian identity with her faith. Right. And and actually, the way they did that was just so beautiful because she literally runs through it, and I can't remember the exact line. And she's like, "It only took you two minutes." When Penelope is talking to her about it, she's like, "Well, yeah, God made us, and it's fine." And who am I to question? You know, and it's just such a great short moment, but it really gets at ultimately, in context of the show, especially how important her faith is to her, but more importantly, how important her family is to her, mm-hmm. which I think is a great lesson for all of us to learn and to take with us. So. Yeah, it's, again, like, we understand for several reasons why most of the media media became secular. Mm-hmm. Or only nominally, like, Christian, as they just kind of reference going to church. But that doesn't mean that it's not a reality for a lot of us. And right. when it is presented, like, especially when it's, you know, like, you have these Jewish characters or... um Muslim characters or, you know, even if it's just Catholic at some point, you know, when it's mentioned, that still makes up a part of who that character is. Right. And especially when it's not in a one-off, they're extreme, like they're super orthodox, ha ha ha, or God forbid another police show where it's a terrorism episode. Of course, the first suspects are Muslim people. Like when you get characters like a Nina, it's amazing because she is very multifaceted and she is a very controversial is not the right word, but she causes a lot of discussion because we don't ever see characters like that. Right. Well, she's very much 
I I believe a first of her kind. Yeah. As far as where we're getting to see a modern queer Muslim woman who pushes back against a lot of stereotypes that I think non-Muslims have about Muslim women. Definitely. And even um, sometimes I think Muslims have about Muslim yeah. women. Um, I, I'm when, not in the place to comment on that. I, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> but I remember when we first heard about her, you know, a lot of people were just like, especially when the news made it to other countries, and it just is what it is, people were very shocked and, you know, some were complaining and some were, were like the corrupting of our youth. And it, at the end of the day, like, we exist. Like, LGBTQ, whatever you want to call it, exist and some are extremely devout and some aren't for a lot of reasons but her existing is I mean before her I can't even think of like the last Muslim character that I even cared about mm-hmm. like it would I would have to like google a list because I just I mean Little Mosque on the Prairie but that was years ago and it's not even an American show so <laughs> well and I remember you specifically said it was the fact that she wore hijab right to right. you was important. It was huge. And I also like that her hijab style, it makes zero sense, which is the best part. Like, there are plenty of people who wear hijab like that, and there are a lot that don't. But somehow the costumers are semi-consistent, which I appreciate, versus actually, funnily enough, literally 20 minutes ago, I was looking at um, a couple of tweets from some of my friends who are talking about how we need better hijab stylists because the girl on Grey's Anatomy and 13 Reasons of Terribleness um, – both of them are dressed like they're like middle schoolers <laughs> with their hijab. So it's really nice that um, Adina is such a fashionable hijabi because that's something that's really big now. Is I wrote an article about it years ago, the hijabistas, the fashionable hijabis and how they combine fashion and, and makeup and everything and are still very devout in the way they wear their hijab. So I appreciate that too because it's not all abayas or the old like when little kids first starring hijab it's like the pull-on kind she doesn't wear those mm-hmm. which is cool well and again i think it boils down to you don't want to see yourself erased and right. i know a lot of us who've grown up in the women loving women community you know that's our big thing is we don't want to see that part of ourselves erased in characters so we need to especially if we're writing about characters that don't belong to quote unquote our tribe. And I hate to right. break this down into tribes, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. I got you. Yeah. If they're not within your realm of lived experience, then you need to be careful writing about them because just as you know, you don't want to see yourself stripped away. You don't, you know, you surely don't want to, unintentionally do that for somebody else exactly Um, especially because i think sorry go ahead no go ahead i was just going to say what i think is really cool too is for as much as there are issues with every community concerned i mean that's just how humanity works we're always causing problems for each other the really great thing about the internet is you have not only just google but as fandoms grow people become really close and are there are definitely people who are willing to answer questions about especially for longer you know, efforts, like, if someone asks me, hey, how should I write about this hijab brand character, I'm totally going to be willing to answer, and if I'm not, because I don't have time, I'll be like, here's some resources, and I think that there are other people who are like that, so you shouldn't be afraid either to ask, or at least, you know, 
do like the Twitter, hey, can someone point me in the right direction? I would much rather hear, hey, I would like to write about a queer Native woman. Mm -mm. I want to make sure I don't, you know, just get it completely wrong or offensive. Do you know anybody I could talk to? Do you mind talking to me? Do you have any resources? I would much rather have somebody come to me and say that instead of just, you know, writing it and it being very inaccurate and or offensive. Right. Especially because I think the line between inaccurate and offensive is very thin. Like, sometimes like someone just wrote something and it's kind of, it's not offensive and it's not even necessarily inaccurate. It's just one of those, like, why did you get this so wrong? But then sometimes it goes on full, like, this trope should have been left behind in the 1950s and then we should never see it again. And then that's where it gets really frustrating because that requires, I think, a level of, again, people unconsciously do it, but sometimes that requires a level of, like, I just genuinely did not want to do any of the work and that's a problem. Right. Well, it also goes back to sometimes you have somebody who decides, yes, I'm going to tackle this, but I don't want to ask anybody who's actually living this. Right. And, you know, I remember, I think the last episode you were on, you had given an example of if somebody asks you if you shower with your hijab on, you're going to be like, "Mm, do you want to ask me that again? Right. <laughs> so, you know, if you see something that's like, yes, I'm going to tackle this, and then they don't put any research in, and you wind up with, like, hijab-wearing Muslim lady as she showers and doing all these other things that are just so blatantly inaccurate, or, you know, like, on my end, if it's a diabetic, drunken, welfare native lady struggling to oh, make ends meet, I'm going to be pissed off. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially and because... you have to understand, like, you may have written that with the best of intentions, but you wrote something that was horrifically offensive, regardless of whether you meant to or not. Right. Right. And I also think, too, and that's a really good example, actually, is that's the one thing that even though the Bold Type Writers Room season one was all white, whoever they were talking to, or whether it was Nicole Boucheri, um just telling them they were very consistent about when she's wearing her hijab. Like we don't see her wearing hijab inside her home. Cause like, why would she, we mm-hmm. only see it when she's out and about, which makes sense. So I really like that because there's also that realistic aspect of it. Um, Cause a lot of times when we did have one off hijab characters that may have existed for more than one or two episodes, <clears throat> excuse me, we would always see them in hijab, but because they're all actresses who don't wear hijab in real life, it makes sense that they wouldn't be wearing them in the house. So I think that's something that's really cool because it normalizes, like, the true, like, how we actually operate as hijab-wearing people. Right. Well, even just, again, going back to if somebody who's not queer decides to write a woman-loving woman character and writes them offensively, whether they intended right. to or not, we know the woman-loving woman fandom is going to rightfully be upset. Right. Like, look at, again, the fallout from the 100. <laughs> that is still going on. That'll go on. That and cockroaches, they will survive <laughs> once we're all gone. <laughs> but, you know, they were rightfully angry when she was killed. Yeah. So, it's again, it's having that empathy of understanding, yeah, this really pissed me off when this happened. Oh, wait, is that how it must feel for when X happens? Right. And again, we're not trying to necessarily call anybody out. 
but it does kind of lead to another point I want to touch on really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. We are starting to get more shows now that are more diverse, that have more diverse writers' rooms that feature diverse characters, such as yes. Charmed or Black Lightning or One Day at a Time. Or Vita and Stars, which I still need to watch. I need right. to do it. I just have it. Um, <laughs> Vita, uh, there's going to be a... Sh- there's gonna be a- show on netflix with jennifer aniston as the president and her wife is tig nataro which is both really exciting and also i don't know how i feel about it <laughs> but i'm just like i would never ever ever when i was 20 have thought we'd right. have gotten something like this right. it was completely outside of the realm of anything i could envision well so i think I, that's kind of good so i really really need when these shows are happening for us to support them and not, as certain people say, oh, I don't trust this network, especially when it's showing you yourself for the first time. Please mm-hmm. watch it. Or, you know, I don't trust it. You shouldn't watch it. But then go watch my stuff. That's white right. and, like, maybe right. not even canon. Right. Well, and I think, and this goes back to something that we've talked about before. I think there's absolutely, an, I understand where the fear comes from. As someone who, let's just say it, that what's being said about the CW. I have a very big love hate relationship with them because they're just, I mean, they go, they push the line a lot and sometimes they do it really well. And sometimes it's just like, why did you try that? Please stopping Glee 2.0 cough Riverdale cough. But I think that there's still something to be said about the fact that they're trying and they're doing it. And part of it is because as a network, they don't work like ABC, CBS, NBC and Fox. I mean, and Fox, but you still have to at least, even if you can't support it because you're not a Nielsen home, still talk about it and still watch it. And don't hate watch it. Like, if you don't want to watch it, fine. But at least be open to trying new things. Like with the Charmed reboot, where everyone already has decided one way or another it's going to be X, Y, and Z. And we've only seen three minutes from a pilot that's probably going to be updated before it's fully shown in October. Well, again, it goes back to my... The CBS, or not CBS, CW, like you said, they're willing to push the envelope and they are willing to just swing for the fences on the shows they do. Yes. And some of the time that means you're going to strike out spectacularly, which is where your frustration comes from. But you're still open to them because when they swing and get a hit, we get Black Lightning. Right, exactly. And I think, I mean, we're going to have, and I cannot believe this is actually happening, I'm going to have to update my CW LGBT article. If what's going on with Supergirl's casting happens, we're going to get a trans woman played by a trans woman character. It'll be the oh, yeah, first canonical trans person um, on the CW, which is a big deal. Yeah. And again, I completely understand, especially why trans people wouldn't be ready for that because it's a CW. I get it. But I am very much going to be cautious and hopeful that after years of changing the network and moving the network in a different direction, that the people who are in charge and the casting, I mean, especially with what happened with Black Lightning and Charmed, I think they did a really great job. They're hopefully going to do the same great job with this. And if you have good writers backing it all up, it could be a huge deal. And it would be something that we haven't seen on the CW before and would be really awesome for that part of the community who has seen lesbian, gay, and bisexual canonical characters on a bunch of their shows, but never a trans character. Right, and again, they're looking for a trans actress um, of any ethnicity yes. for this character. Um, I think it's amazing 
that we're we're even at this point because right. I like just from my experience again when I was twenty, the stuff we have now I could never have imagined we'd have been here and they're just they just keep on coming you know right. So I I know as far as trans representation we have a long way to go. But I'm very cautiously optimistic that this is a good first step. And again, when we get this, we have to support each other. Agreed. You know, we can't tell our family members in the community, oh, I don't think you should watch this because XYZ happened on another show and I you know, don't trust the network. But you should still watch this show on the network because... You know, there's a non-canonical couple that might happen one day. Yeah, um, you know, Kai wrote a really good article about this. I'll link to it. Um, yeah, I, I remember like we were reading this, and I was just telling Sahar, it's like this is exactly everything I've been thinking about. You know, how we support these shows with these characters. Mm-hmm. And again, like I'm not trying to necessarily make anybody feel bad because for the longest time, this is all we had. You know, when right. I when I was 20, the, what I had, even compared to white lesbians, you know, standard characters today, was nowhere near. It was, you know, it was normally tragic, murderous. Right. Or, you know, tr- lesbians who die tragically and psychotic bisexuals. That's what I had growing up. Right. And I think that's what's so, it's incredible because we can absolutely push for better representation, but, excuse me, also be really excited about the fact that we even have any, because like you just said, it didn't exist. And and the stuff that people, I think sometimes like the gatekeepers of whatever community you want to say, they hold on to the old stuff because they had to wait so long for it, and then they're not willing to try the new things, which can be another issue that goes along with also just fanfic writing too. Um... But we have to push for more, and we have to be excited and supportive of what we are getting that's good. And then in 10 years, it's going to be another different story, because we're going to have a totally different set of characters and shows. And the younger people, younger people, the people who are kids now in 10 years, when they're young adults, it's going to be totally different for them than it was for me, than it was for you. And that's also really exciting. Right. But... uh... You know, it goes back to you have to be respectful of whomever those characters are representing. And you have Mm -hmm. to educate yourself. And you can educate yourself. You can, I mean, we have access to Google. And this is something, again, being a kid growing up right before the internet took off. Right. I still remember when I was in like in fifth grade and sixth grade having to go to the library and looking up the card indexes to go find a book for a book report. Right. And if the book's not there, well, you can't Google book it. So it sucks to suck. (laughs) Yeah. You have to find, I mean, the amount of knowledge that we have available at our fingertips is honestly Mm -hmm. miraculous. Mm -hmm. And then actually nothing stopping you from doing some basic research. That was what I was going to say. So, there we go. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, unless you don't have access to the internet, in which case, you know, fair enough. I'm not sure how you're watching some of this, though. Um, <laughs> or listening to it. Or posting your fanfic. Uh, 
point being, generally, <laughs> if you have internet access, you've got access to Google or Bing or Yahoo, whatever you use, that you right. can look this information up. Or at least give right. yourself um, a minimum education and then turn to one of your friends who might be part of that group and be like, hey, I've been trying to study this. Um, I want to do X, Y, Z, and I've looked this part up. I still have questions about this. Do you have some time that I can maybe ask you about this, or do you know some other resources? And I think that's something that you just said, actually, is people who have looked it up and then asked for the help are, like, that shows how much you are willing to put, how much time you're willing to put in to craft a character and expand on the character and really get it right. Which mm-hmm. I think is both really like a people like your readers are going to appreciate that, and I think there's obviously discussion to be had about like fanfic writers and the people who read that and that interaction too, because there's a lot of fanfic writers who do get burnt out because no one's commenting, blah blah blah. But if you if you're doing it right, people are going to comment and they're going to be in love with it. And they're going to be really excited. I know I personally in the last few years have challenged myself to make sure I leave a comment on every single fanfiction that I read because it's the only way that I can like show my support. I can't pay everyone. And so I know that that's always really great because then I could go into detail about, oh, hey, you wrote this character who I see myself in, and this is really cool, and I love how you did this. Or it's clear you did the research on, like, what the cultural food of this character – that doesn't make any sense – what the food is that this person from a specific culture would eat. There we go. That's English. (laughs) Um, And things like that, which is really great. And you can tell because they went to Google and they talked to people. Right. I mean, even something as simple as food – can honestly throw somebody out of the story. Like, I know there's the common joke mm-hmm. that white people don't season their food. Right. Um, there's some truth to that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're writing about, say, a character who is just hypothetically, say, Bengali, and they're right. sitting down for dinner and they're eating, you know... Craft macaroni and cheese and <laughs> like fish sticks. Okay, may- maybe you're really gonna have to sell me on that, right? Because last thing I think I had one either of those meals was definitely when I was in elementary school and my mom and I were being late. <laughs> so yeah, it's a matter of um, the small details matter too. And you don't, if you get the larger pieces, you can probably get away a little bit more with the smaller bits. But again, it's, you don't like it when you see yourself misrepresented. So try to have that empathy for people who might be reading or consuming what you're putting out there when you're writing people who are outside of your experience. Right. Right. And... There are definitely, there have been some writers who I or like other commenters on a fanfic have been like, oh, hey, I really like this thing that you wrote, but then some of this stuff was kind of a hot mess. And then they get really angry and it's like pushed past that defensive anger and realize that most people who are making those comments aren't doing it because they're mad. They want you to know so that you do better and that they will continue to read your work. Because most people I feel like who comment from that perspective they want people, you to be better. Right. And they're not, you know, back when fanfiction.net, flames, don't flame it, if, don't read it if you're going to leave flames, blah, blah, blah. Like, there are people who are genuinely well-meaning and want to continue to read your writing and want to get more from you. They just also want it to be authentic. 
Right. I mean, generally, in my experience, if something offends me that badly, I'm just not going to say anything. And I'm just going to stop reading. And I'll never read anything you write again. So if I'm taking the time to point out that, hey, I really like this, but this one point right here is kind of offensive, I'm doing it from a place of constructive criticism where I care enough to try and correct you. Yes. Otherwise, I mean, they're just going to stop. Like, you know, with um, Kat in The Bold Theory, with that one instance, all the viewers who just stopped. Right. So it's, again, we're not trying to attack anybody specifically. It's something we can all work on. But Mm -hmm. we have to be open and empathetic and aware that it's something that we do. And And I think it's something that we all do sometimes by accident, too. Yeah. You know, there's... I I remember I said something one time we were talking about, and you're like, that's actually offensive, and I don't think you realize that, and I had no idea at all. I was like, holy crap, I'm really sorry. And that's... I never used that term again. Right. that's all it took. I just genuinely did not know. You pointed it out to me. We're fine. Yeah. And I think that also... I think sometimes... This happens with all fandoms, but especially woman-loving woman. Woman-loving woman fandom. Lots of L's there. Um, is that, like, people are doing it out of love and out of support and out of wanting everyone to be better. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be seen. I mean, like, clearly there's always going to be people who are disturbed. Like, that They're is everywhere. what we're talking about here. They're everywhere. But this is coming from the perspective of, like, people who genuinely just want each other to be better. And that's something that you should want to be having from your friends and from people you care about. I mean, that's so better is that I can get, I can talk to people from literally all over the world. And I have friends now who are in all the time zones and learning about all. It's great because that's not something that we had before the internet necessarily. So leaning into, Oh, Hey, this person that I don't necessarily know IRL but talk to regularly is pushing me on something. The reaction shouldn't be they hate me or I don't want to listen or whatever. It should be, okay, let me take a step back from whatever it is that I was writing or that they're talking to me about and come back to it with a willingness to learn. Right. I mean, and genuinely, I do think genuinely we want our writers to be better. You know, we want you to be better as a writer and to grow as a writer and If we're pointing that out, it's, I, I, you know, again, if we didn't care, we wouldn't point it out. And outside of the jerks, and you're going to know who the jerks are, but if somebody is genuinely saying, hey, I love this, but this part's wrong, look at it as an opportunity to grow as a writer. Right. And grow as a person, too, because I think, I mean, we're so connected to the things we create. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's something that's human. Like, we want our stuff to be consumed and loved and get the awesome kudos for Archive of Our Own and the comments and what have you. And so we're really, you know, our art is a part of us, so then it gets really hard to hear the criticism because it just is something that is hard for humans to do. But if you can push past that, you will grow to be a better writer and you'll end up having way more, not only just skill, but also the ability to actually tap into all of the characters. Because I think that's the coolest thing about fan fiction, right? Is we're taking already established characters and stories and throwing them into alternate universes. Or just expanding on a scene that was only 30 seconds, but we really want to see what happened after that. Right. 
And I know for some people, you know, writing their fanfic is intensely personal. It's a way that they're trying to work through whatever they whatever. need to work through. Um, and I know it's easy to be especially defensive on those types of fic. But again, I know they're just fictional characters, but people's cultures and religions and ethnicities are not. Yes. Um, that's not fictional. And the way you write that can still be harmful for other people. And that's something Which, that even if this is intensely personal for you, you do need to keep in mind. Right. Because it's still intensely personal for the other people reading it. And right. on the flip side, real people, their experiences are not fictional. So we, we, we should be able to separate those two things. That's really important, I think. Right. When it comes to all kind of art, fandom, fan or whatever. If you are, you know, um, Native, Indian, Latinx, um, Black, um, Asian, any other... The long this, list. <laughs> yeah, it's a very long list. But those lived experiences are very real and very visceral and very personal. So i'm not trying to say you don't have the right to work out whatever's going on in your life through fiction and make it be transformative but your right right to do that doesn't trump the other person's right to have characters that look like them actually be representative of them or to ignore their their real reality and ultimately, if you re- ignore that reality, I mean, you're not writing about the characters that you were writing about anymore. You might as you're well, just I mean, writing just about write people. Some original fiction, you know? Right? Exactly. Exactly. There is nothing. I, I think original fiction has come, somehow kind of become a dirty word because some people assume, oh, it's just going to be wildly out of character. It's like, well, I'm writing original fiction, so I don't have to deal with this in character right. crap from other characters, so I can make it specifically tailored to me. Right. Exactly. Or so if it's going it. to be an go for your universe, original fiction, then change everything in the first place. Yes, make it legitimately tailored to you and what you're going through. Why compromise from something somebody else created? You know, make it tailored specifically for you. But don't you know take characters that are reflective of other people's lived experiences and just completely strip them of anything that you know. Makes them them. Yeah. You know, don't take Batwoman and make her straight or make yeah. her non-Jewish. DW, I hope you're listening. <laughs> uh-huh. Sahar and I will... Honestly, Sahar and I aren't even going to be the ones you have to worry about. Kylie and Griffin, I think if CW manages to fuck that up. Oh, God. Uh, the whole internet. I mean, everyone will be very... Well, okay, let's be real. Just... just gonna say it after last year's crossover and where the different shows are in their ratings even if the cw doesn't really need to worry about ratings it's very clear that they are testing out a new show new character because after next year gotham will be gone and batwoman has never been live action so i'm i'm assuming that they're gonna get it right but if they don't everyone's gonna let them know and then there's not gonna be a batwoman show so then it won't matter so get it right right and it'll be great and you'll have your next franchise Avoid avoid all this trouble. Just avoid it in the first place. Um, you know, 
Sahar and I are like, please, every year we're like, please let this be Errors last season. Right. We might actually be getting it now. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're getting lucky. This is going to be Errors last season and they'll replace it with Batwoman. You know, okay. let's use our magic powers for that. It worked yeah. on Charmed. Um, it did. So basically, again, just to sum up, we're not attacking you specifically. We're trying to open a door for some dialogue and some awareness of you can't just, you know, make a character, whatever culture adjacent you are, and strip them and everybody else who does look to them for representation of what makes them them. And yes, some of this is part of the media's problem because of what we've been given so far but we are starting to get new shows that are better about this again vita the bold type mostly uh black (laughs) lightning one day at a time you know we are getting those shows we need to support those shows and we need to be able to use them at least as a starting base to realize that oh wait maybe i shouldn't do this Maybe yeah. I need to read some more. So. And then you'll have awesome fanfic that people will love and share, and it'll be great. Exactly. Anyways, that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you if you've listened to us up until this point. Um, we appreciate you having an open mind and listening to what we have to say. Uh Please leave some comments if there's something you think we missed or if, you know, you have anything to add. We love reading your comments. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, also, we do have other podcasts, uh, Nabash Book Snobbery, The Fundamentalists, and Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics to check out. And, yeah, I think I'm done for the day. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope to, quote, see you soon. All right, tune in next time. Have a good one.